Hello, welcome to Mac Talks, a podcast created by instructional designers at McLennan Community College. Um, today, I'm going to be talking with Marianne Dutton, who is our Director of Clinical Education for the Respiratory Care Program, and she's actually graduated of this program in uh, 2007. Hello, we're so glad you're here. It's good to be here. <laughs> so. We just want to start off with a, a little icebreaker so we can get going. Right now, it is almost Halloween. It is Halloween on Monday, but when this podcast will be released, it'll actually be between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we are in the season of holidays and all that stuff. So I was wondering, do you have a favorite holiday tradition? Oh, gosh. Uh, Thanksgiving's my favorite, but um, like as far as actual traditions, no, just getting together with family. Yeah. What do you do when you're together with your family? play games, watch the Cowboys, which is a family favorite, not mine, but um, uh, eat good food. That's about it. (laughs) That sounds good. Food is always a good part of uh, any holiday tradition. I always loved on uh, Christmas morning, we have cinnamon rolls. That is my favorite part. It's funny you say that because when I make cinnamon rolls and bacon, I walk in and I'm like, oh, the house smells like bacon or like Christmas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, it does. Cinnamon rolls smell like Christmas. There's something about cinnamon that just smells really good this time of year. All right. So you are the director of the clinical education program and you graduated from this program. So can you tell us how that story kind of happened? How did you get here? Yeah. So um, we actually have a program director. I'm just the director of the clinical part. Okay. Uh, So didn't want to not give her credit. She's awesome. Her name's Donna Mendoza. Um, So I actually decided that I wanted to be a respiratory therapist uh, probably in 2004, 2003, 2004. And I applied to the uh, UTL Science Center in San Antonio and got in there and actually failed out. I failed every single class and um, worked at the Y at the time, the Waco Family Y. And one of our members was a respiratory therapist and came in one day and told me to call Doug Gibson, who was the program director at the time. And so that's how I got to MCC. I had no intentions of uh, going back to school to be a respiratory therapist. So I'm thankful I did. Graduated in 2007, went to work at Providence here in Waco for three years and my love was always pediatric, so I was fortunate enough to get to work at, in the pediatric ICU at Cook Children's for three years um, before I came on here full-time. And I worked as a clinical instructor and lab instructor here um, adjunct um, while I was working at the hospitals, too. How did you, tell me more about how you ended up here. How did you go from maybe like a high school graduate to now you're a professor? So I knew that I always wanted to work in the medical field, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, um, even from a really young age. After I graduated from high school, I came straight to MCC, and I was actually here for a long time, taking prereqs for physical therapy and decided or realized that my grades for my early years probably weren't good enough to get into PT school and actually saw a commercial on or an ad basically on the Waco City of Waco channel about becoming a respiratory therapist. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. Already wanted to go to school in San Antonio. I don't really know why. And found out that they had, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Found out that they had a respiratory program, took the rest of my prereqs, applied and got in. And then, like I said, failed out there, came back to Waco met Doug and started the program here and really excelled in the program here. I mean, all A's and B's and then 
graduated in 07, like I said, went to work at Providence. And while I was working at Providence, started working on my bachelor's degree in respiratory care through Midwestern State, became a clinical instructor and a lab instructor for here for MCC as just a part-time thing. And then continued doing that. I taught a course with Doug, a classroom course. And then I was working at Cook. And one day he just said, hey, there's a full-time position open or coming open. I hope you apply for it. So I did. And here I am. I was hired on a grant on a, I don't even, Perkins grant. No, it wasn't Perkins. Anyways, I was hired on a grant and they ended up turning my position into temporary full-time. So it was like always kind of in limbo. Didn't know if I was going to get to stay or not. And then Doug, he was the program director and Linda Harkins was the director of clinical education. They actually both retired in August of the same year. So Donna and I got pushed into those positions, their positions, and we um, had to hire two new faculty. And so we kind of taught them, like we took them mm-hmm. under our wings. Mm-hmm. We all co-teach our courses now. So Amber and I teach a lot of our courses together and we just kind of take turns. Who's up for what what unit um, in our classes? And then Donna and Erica teach their classes together. So what was your educational experience like here and how does it different from the experience you provide for your students today? So when I was a student, our classes were just strictly face-to-face lecture courses, take notes during class, have your exams, that's it. Now, it was probably 2015, Doug Gibson, who was the program director at the time, actually got um annoyed with students not paying attention there was a student playing with another student's hair one day (laughs) so he started doing some research and he decided that um, he wanted to try a flipped classroom model and so now all of our classes are taught in the in the flipped model so we uh, we pre-record our lectures so there's still like powerpoint or you know, anything like that. We record those. Some I used to use Camtasia and post my lectures to YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm re-recording them now all just in PowerPoint and just exporting them to a movie because some of the students didn't like the YouTube. Not sure why. But mm-hmm. so the students listen to the lecture before they come to class. They have to answer a list of objectives. And when they get to class, they have to take 10 question quiz, multiple choice quiz over their objective based on their objectives basically um after they take that quiz they we divide them into groups groups of three or four and they take the same quiz over with their group they have scratch off tickets that are kind of like lottery tickets so you scratch off a b c d Mm -hmm. we scratch off the right answer a star appears and so they kind of answer the questions that they had maybe had about the quiz like the ones that they may have missed um, together with their group before they even have to ask us any questions about it. I love that. So are they, which of those two great quizzes are they graded on? The first one or the group one? They're graded on both actually. So their quizzes are 30% of their course grade, 20% is the individual quiz, 10% is the uh, team quiz. That's really cool. I like that, you know, when sometimes when I finish a quiz, you have that feeling of 
oh no, I, I should have known that, or gosh, I gotta go look up that answer because I don't know the answer to that. And I love that you're providing an opportunity immediately for them to get that answer from their peers and to learn from them what they might have missed and talk through it. Um, that's great for community building in the classroom and also for providing an opportunity for them to learn on the spot while it's, while it's in their brain and they're really curious about it because they just might have gotten it wrong or right. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And it's, it's fun because you do hear them talking and collaborating and mm -hmm. explaining to each other and they high five each other when they get one right that they've sat and discussed for a little bit. So it is, it's uh, fun to watch for sure. I love that. That must yeah. be a cool experience for you as a teacher. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like yes. the light bulb goes off. I love that, that you're <laughs> yeah. there for the light bulb moment by doing this flip classroom. Yes, so for that sure. That also means that most of your work is kind of front loaded, right, during during the summer, or during the breaks. Yes, yes. I actually recorded two lectures today, just re-recording for the next couple of weeks of class. But yeah, for the most part, we have everything ready going into the semester, which is nice. It's a lot of work up front, like you mm -hmm. said, but um, it makes it it makes it nice going into it. What else do you do in your classes besides the the quizzes and the group going over the answers? Yeah, so after um, after they finish their quizzes, we'll actually the instructors will talk with them about any questions that maybe a large portion of the, the class missed. Mm. So just to re-explain, make sure that they yeah. understand. And then they get an activity that they do with their group. And usually it's kind of like a case study uh, based on the lecture material. So I like to use the term like we're, bring, we're bringing the patient to the classroom. So the student will get in the activity, you'll have, you know, like a patient's general appearance and their vital signs, and they'll have to go through their case study and diagnose and treat based on the information from the lecture. Going back to what you said about how after the quiz, the you as the instructor get to answer any questions that maybe most of the class would have gotten wrong. That's also awesome because then you know, and can, like I was saying before, answer their questions on the spot um, and it doesn't have to wait a long time but also it's great feedback for you as to what are what is the information that my students are getting and what's something that we need to spend more time on that's really right cool. yes for sure yeah some of them are sometimes a little apprehensive to ask the questions but that's why we just go ahead and go over the ones that they that they, missed. That they may have missed yeah Doing the case studies with your students in class is a great example of project-based learning, and I love that it's also real-world application, uh, that they're not learning about something that they'll never again see or they don't know how it connects to the real world. This is a real-world circumstance that you're giving them. Yes, absolutely. We just, um, the first part of the semester in our patient assessment class, we covered chest x-ray interpretation. During that time, it was probably a few weeks into the semester, I was at Hillcrest, and Anyways, they had a patient that they had to basically do all the things that we'd been doing in class. So they had to see what the patient's vitals were, how they were doing, how they had been doing. So they'd had a change in status, order the chest x-ray, um, get some other lab tests, and then they got to see on the chest x-ray what was going on with the patient, which correlated with their symptoms and their vitals. So the case studies are, are real live cases that you've gotten before? Not always, but they would be like a patient with pneumonia. So most patients with a bacterial pneumonia would present the same. Mm -hmm. So and then their chest x-ray would look similar. So we'll give an example like that or a case like that. But sometimes, yes, sometimes I'll write a, an activity based on a previous patient experience. And are those case studies normally aligned with the 
material that they had read and taken a quiz on. Hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. One unique thing that applies to your discipline more than others uh, at MCC is that you have a lot more standards given to you by the state and, and the nation because of the medical nature of your job. Can you talk about how that impacts what you teach in the classroom? Oh, for sure. So we um, we teach based off of um, the matrix that the National Board for Respiratory Care tests them over. And then we are um, our accrediting agency, COARC. Um, holds us to certain standards. Um, so I think we've seen huge increases in pass rates on the national board exam since we flipped the classroom. We just had um, 100% pass rate on our board exams for our class that graduated ooh, in ooh, August. That's so exciting. Which it, yeah, it's the, only the second time in program history. The first time was in was right before COVID, so the class of 2019. So hopefully we, we stay at this level now, now that COVID's over. Are there any standards that you feel are more difficult or more inhibitory, or do you mostly feel like these standards are helpful things for you to make sure that you know exactly what your students need to know before they go out in the field? Sometimes the students during um, the program, I think I'm answering what you asked, uh, during the program, the students think that they are quote unquote teaching themselves because they're having to listen to the lectures beforehand, answer their objectives, and then come to class and we just work on their activities without Sometimes they think they're not being taught, but most of the time after they graduate, we get several emails from the graduates thanking us for the way we did teach and how much it helped them. Mm, That's really cool. One of the things, another thing that applies to your discipline more than others is you work with patients or the goal is for your students to work with patients once they graduate. And in a lot of other disciplines, the homework, the things that they do in class can actually be the skills that they're learning. Whereas a lot of times the skills that students are learning in your class, they're learning it kind of from a distance. They're learning it through a case study or through a lecture with the hopes of one day doing it with a, a patient. How do you navigate that difference of of knowing that the, the material that you're teaching in the class is directly related to a patient, but you don't always have a patient in the classroom? So they actually do get to go and see those experiences in the lab, in the skills lab, um, after they learn it in the classroom. They learn it in the lab, so they get to practice whatever skill on the mannequins that we have. And then they do get to go practice those skills in the hospital as well, after they get a check off on the mannequin. So after they've successfully performed the skill. I will say sometimes before they actually see it on a patient, like let's say it's um, something with a ventilator. After they see it, the actual ventilator graphics and how a patient or even the mannequin reacts to certain changes in ventilator settings, it's hard for them to understand sometimes. Until they see it. Yeah, until they actually see it on a patient. And how do you use technology to bridge that gap so that they can understand as much as possible before they interact with a live patient? So again, we have our skills lab Mm -hmm. where we have several high fidelity mannequins that are super cool. And so they're actually, we're actually able to intubate them. So put a breathing tube in, put them on the ventilator so they have lungs that we can we can ventilate with the uh, with the ventilator but then also let's say we're teaching 
I'm teaching chest x-rays, we'll show actual, I'll show actual chest x-rays during class. Or another one of the instructors was teaching stuff on chest tubes. And so she brings the setup for the chest tube and has a, like a torso where she's marked where she's marking where the chest tubes would be inserted on the patient. The instructors for the mechanical ventilation class, they'll actually bring the ventilator into the classroom and put it on a set of pig lungs or a test lung and um, change the settings so they can look at the ventilator graphics and how the different uh, ventilator settings work. Very cool. I love that there's so many different ways that you're able to bring the students into a real life activity as much as possible, that this is very hands-on, that there's a lot of discussion, it sounds like, in your classroom. There's talking back and forth. That there, there's multiple means of the student getting the information. Absolutely. They're, they're reading yes. it. They're listening to it. They're talking about it. They're doing it in the lab. There's so many different ways that they're getting the information. I love that. Yes, me too. It's really cool to watch. In your flipped classroom, because there's so much that the student does outside the classroom, listening to the, the lectures and all that, that creates a lot of work for you, which you mentioned. Can you tell us more about what that work is like and, and how it pays off, why it's worth it? Yeah, so um, it is a lot of work up front. You know, um, creating a course, writing your lectures, recording lectures, um, creating the quizzes, and then also the activities. It's a lot of work up front, but it pays off in the long run. I think for the faculty, we, we record uh, you know, we create it, record it, do all that stuff. And then we don't really have to do that again for several years. We can tweak things here and there, go back and edit some test questions, edit some quizzes, add to the activity, things like that. But it, I think it's so beneficial for the students because they are getting those cases, those patient-based learning stuff in the classroom rather than sitting and listening to a lecture during class, I think it's very beneficial to them. During COVID, is actually spring of 2020, when I actually created my first course from start to finish, I adopted a new book um, for my Neo PD class. And it, I mean, it was a ton of work. I was, I was working from the time I got home from work till after, even after I put my kids to bed, um, my husband joked with me that I worked more on that course than I did in grad school, um, but it was it was worth it. Now the now the work is done. So every spring I can go in and just tweak some things, make it better each year, um, but make sure the students are getting what they need. What are some of the things you do to make it better each year? Add to the activities is one of the things. Like if it's an activity maybe that was too easy or that didn't take up the entire class. I'll add extra to it. If there was, if there's an exam question that maybe everybody missed, maybe I didn't write it well. And so I'll just edit a test question. For lectures, maybe things have changed in patient care. Evidence-based practice changes, you know, things come out all the time. And so just little tweaks to the lecture. I'm curious, what are some of the changes that have come out that you've put into your course? NRP neonatal resuscitation there would there's changes in that they update that every five years so when I first recorded the lectures for NRP there were just a few small differences in how you treat a newborn that needs help versus they just updated I think last year so just little changes like that 
Do you see students, especially because you see them in the class working through these things, do you see them get excited about certain topics that you teach about more than others? Yes, for sure. I, I mean, they they love the pediatric portion. Well, a lot of them do. I'm sure that your love for pediatrics shines through and they catch yes, the, the bug, yes, the excitement for, for sure. It. It's really cool, though, when they'll get, see something in class and then or have something in class that they learn about and then they go to clinic and they're like, we had this exact patient in clinic. And so they know exactly how to treat it. Mm. I love that. I love that excitement. And I'm sure that you do as well. Do you think that students obviously being in a, a medical field and the education for that is really intense? Do you see that the students appreciate the different homework than maybe they would have normally um, do you think that this homework is more or less time consuming for them in regards to their other courses? I think that it's more time consuming for sure, but I think that it takes the study part portion out of it right before an exam because their exams are going to be based on their lectures and their activities and they've really dug in deep versus just taking some notes and listening to a lecture. So they're ready for their exam before they even have to, you know, and don't even have to study for it. I love that. That shows that it's deep learning, right? If they don't is, have to sure. study very much, that that's really ingrained in them already. And you've done all of the learning work up front. Yes, absolutely. That's so cool. It's so wonderful to talk to you about all of this. I'm, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I've learned a lot from you. Is there anything else that you would want to share um, with a faculty member, maybe someone who's newer to your field um, that's teaching for the first time, what, what advice would you have for them? Oh, gosh, give it a few years. It took, <laughs> me, it took me several years before I could even think about being a good instructor. Yeah, give it a few years. Just be patient with yourself and don't read all your evals. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to put that in there. <laughs> maybe, maybe read the evals with a grain of salt. Yes, yes. <laughs> As you're teaching these things, you have to stay on top of the medical field changing, as you mentioned, but you also have to stay on top of the educational field changing, which we're seeing you do with the flipped classroom is kind of a newer thing. How do you stay on top of both of those changing fields and keep yourself constantly informed? Lots of continuing education. So every summer, uh, my program director and I, well, typically every summer, we go to summer forum that's for program directors and directors of clinical education. And so we get to collaborate with other educators in respiratory care from all over the nation. And so there's a lot that we can learn there. I love that. As far as for both of those things, for education and for uh, the clinical portion. That's really cool. What are some of the things that you've learned recently from the, that well, one of the th I guess one of the main things that that Donna and I took away from Summer Forum is that all the struggles that we have with our students, everybody else has with theirs. Mm -hmm. And I I went I don't even know that I should necessarily say struggles, but all the issues we run into with our program are happening everywhere, whether mm -hmm. it be with um, enrollment and retention or tardies and absences in clinic. I don't know things mm -hmm. you know it's it's common mm. and we're not alone yeah that's so true I mean we hear that working with faculty all the time a lot of the same the same issues come up all the time and that's part of why we want to create more of a community of, of faculty so we can all learn from each other uh, so I love that you are also getting that 
outside of MCC that you're also hearing that from other instructors too. That's really cool. For sure. Tell me more about the co-teaching experience and how you determine who teaches what and and how you do the grading system together. Well, the the good thing is we use Brightspace for everything. Um, Everything's posted in Brightspace. All of our exams, all of our quizzes are given in Brightspace. And so the grade books there, we keep attendance there. It's also good, like if I have to miss because my kids are sick or Amber has to miss because her kids are sick, the other one just fills in. The activities are there. So the lectures are there. We see the objectives. We have answered objectives that we post for each other. And we basically all know all the material. We can all teach each other's classes anyways. But the co-teaching is fun. Um, how do we how do we choose who teaches what? Amber and I have been teaching patient assessment together since she came in 2017. And so we just looked at the course schedule, how we'd had it before. And it was like, oh, I'll teach all the stuff on chest x-rays. You can teach all the stuff on assisting the physician. And so then we just flip flop back and forth. That's really cool. Do you teach any courses non-co-teaching or are all of yours co-teaching? I think, well, last year they were all together. They were all co-taught. Amber taught my Neo-PD class with me. Sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't. Um, She doesn't really have the pediatric experience that I do, but she teaches or she does all the um, clinical simulation days that the students have here on campus. So she has to incorporate pediatric and neonatal stuff in there. And so that's why she sits. She basically just hangs out in that class with me and learns with the students. That's really cool. I love that you're also creating a community among the other faculty that you work with of learning from each other and working together for the sake of the students. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Covering each other's, you know, oh, this is where I'm I'm leading and succeeding. Like, this is where I'm going to excel. And then this is where I can take a back seat and learn from my, my coworkers. Right. Yes, I, exactly. I love that. So is co-teaching, would you say you prefer that over teaching by yourself or are there different pros and cons to each? I like them both. I mean, I could I could teach by myself, or I love having a having a co instructor in there with me too. So nice. It's nice to have two of us in there for the activities. Mm-hmm. So, like, if two or three different groups of students have questions about their activity, we're kind of just walking around the room while they're going through it, and we'll help them answer questions if they get stuck. Um, usually, it's just by giving them clues, not giving them the answer, mm-hmm. but we give them clues like, "Well, think about." you know, what your patient came in, what symptoms they had and things like that. And remember this objective and remember this part of the lecture and how would that help you Mm -hmm. diagnose your patient or what more information do you need to gather? So we can both help answer those questions. Nice. I'd love to hear more stories about you interacting with your students, maybe them coming, figuring out an answer, having that light bulb moment in class, or maybe how they've you mentioned that some of them email you years later and say how grateful they are for the program. Do you have any more stories like that? Well, the cool thing is, is that since I'm a director of clinical education, I'm at the hospitals a lot. So I get to see a lot of our graduates. And so I get to see them succeeding and loving their job because it's a really great profession. That's really cool. What makes it a great profession? Well, I've always wanted to help people. So um, work hands on with patients. So it's yeah, we just—it's very rewarding. So, as respiratory therapists, we work uh, side by side with doctors and nurses. We go to every CPR. Um, 
we run the the life support machine, the ventilator is basically the life support machine. So we're we're right there. Mm-hmm. How was that? Was that even more poignant and striking during COVID, uh, during the height of COVID, especially? Yes, absolutely. Our um, I think a lot of the RTs have some PTSD from it, actually, because they were the ones that were proning the patients, maybe having to withdraw care on them so they could mm. pass. You probably don't want to put that in there. Um, okay. It's real life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, yes, they were, um, again, right there at the bedside. Do you do anything to prepare your students for those really hard life or death situations? Yeah. We do. They come to campus for um, simulation days, like in place of a clinical day. They, each cohort of students comes out probably four times. And so we'll run through codes with them. Um, they'll, have, they'll have their patients, their uh, mannequins that don't make it. And so we kind of debrief after every simulation and talk through all those things and talk about end-of-life care. End-of-life care is taught in mm-hmm. um, one of our courses. How does your how does your normal debrief go uh, for the simulations? What we do um, after the simulations over, we take them all back in the classroom and we say, tell us three things that went well. Tell us three things that didn't go so well. And then, like, what are the key points from the simulation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, debriefs are so important, especially after you do a real life activity where maybe decisions had to be made in a moment. Debriefing is a way for that information to really sink in and lead to what we were talking about earlier, that deep learning that sticks yes. with them. And that's what I tell them. I'm like, if you make a mistake here on campus, it's safe. Mm-hmm. You're not killing anybody. You're not hurting anybody. So you're, and now you'll never forget this again. When you run into this experience in the hospital, you're going to remember this and you're not going to mess up. Wow. That's such a great argument for education, right? That, like how important your program is and how important all these class periods are to their success later. It's not, you know, they're not just studying something that they might be curious in, but they're actually studying something that could save lives one day. But this material, it's so important that they learn it. It, Yes, for sure. It's not just something where it's, oh, I learned that in college. I never use that anymore. This is very related to everything that they're going to be doing in their jobs. Yes, I tell them all the time, you don't get to dump any of this. This is all stuff Mm -hmm. that you have to remember for forever. How do you handle then the load that must come with that? there's just so many studies on, on students only remember a percentage of everything that they learn in school, right? They're only going to remember some of that when they go on. But if so much of the material is important for their career after, how do you how do you make sure that they know it all? I think that everything, like their first semester is like the basis of everything, you know, just the basics. And then we just build on that every semester. And it's stuff that they use every day. Mm-hmm. So every day and in class, every day in clinic, and then after they graduate, every day in their career. Mm -hmm. So that repetition of like repeating those ideas and those skills over and over again. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of this with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is our last episode of the semester, so make sure to like and subscribe wherever you listen to us and also follow us on Instagram so you can be updated for when we release our next podcast in the spring. My name is Katherine Beach, and from all of us instructional designers at MCC, thank you for listening to Math.